What is mission accomplished for your life? When you think about your life, what does it mean for the mission to be accomplished? All of us have a mission that we're on. All of us have a thing that we're doing. All of us have a thing that defines us. It wakes us up in the morning. It gets us out of bed. It's what we think about when we go to bed at night. It is constantly on our mind. It is mission accomplished. What is it for you? Maybe it's a degree. Maybe you're like, you know what, three years, I'm out of here, mission accomplished, right off into the sunset. Maybe it's retirement and a certain number in your 401k. You guys are like, what's a 401k? <laughs> I am so sorry that they don't teach you that in school. Like, that should absolutely be a class that you take here. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so uh, you can come to Senior Springboard and learn about 401ks and 403bs. Uh, we meet Friday mornings at my house, but you can't come till you're... A senior. So, yeah. So there you go. Uh, maybe you're like Lance. The mission accomplished is doing the boot scoot and boogie at your wedding <laughs> next summer. Maybe mission accomplished is going to a Reba McIntyre concert. Right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, those are few and far between these days. So maybe that's what mission accomplished is for you. Maybe you want to be like Copernicus. You want to win a Nobel Prize. Okay, there are all these different ways in which we can define mission accomplished. No. You guys okay? <laughs> Paul wants a Nobel Prize. Good for you, Paul. Sure, why not? Here, I, <laughs> I want to show you the picture of my mission accomplished until, I mean, probably recently, if we're honest with you. Here it is right here. Well, that's what I thought. <laughs> Just a wagon. There it is. Yeah, you guys are like, that is gross. Okay, first of all, it wasn't 20 years ago. Okay, the new body style on the Camaros hadn't come out. This is a 2002 Camaro. Okay, it's only a four-seater. It will not even fit my family at this point. But this, yeah, right? Yeah, this, I mean, this growing up, like, this was it. I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay, look, I grew up in, like, gravel road territory. Okay, so if you, like, grew up on a gravel road, there are two types of cars that the people who had jobs way too young drove, okay? The first one is an F-150, right? Like, those things, everybody's got an F-150. They've got it on lifts, right, or whatever. And the other one is a 5.0 Mustang, okay? And we saw several of these in Oman last week. Like, like this is what, like, it meant. But for me... Okay, because Dale, yeah, okay, I grew up a Dale Earnhardt fan, okay, so I was never going to drive a Ford, it was never going to be a part of me, and so, like, I was like, you know what, like, this, the Chevrolet Camaro, the 2002, like, oh, like, can you picture that in a parade? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, 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 you're just driving down the parade, there's people sitting on the back, they're throwing candy out, like, that was the dream. Okay, and I'm like, in front row, right? We still have parades. Like, people, like, the whole town comes out to it because it's like 12 of us, you know what I mean? Like, oh, we got Main Street covered. Um, like, I just wanted to cruise the strip in this thing, okay? That was also a thing that we did. I don't know if you guys have ever been cruising. Uh, cruises where you just get in the car and you just drive back and forth down Main Street, okay, until the cops tell you you got to go home, right? And that, that was just like, and so, like, a Camaro was going to be it, okay? So, here's what I was going to do. I was going to go to UVA, 
going to get a degree in history or whatever nerds do. Um, and then I was going to go to law school. I was going to go to law school in order to eventually become a lawyer so that I could buy a Camaro. Okay? Okay? And then if, I, if the lawyer thing didn't work out, I was going to be a senator because they definitely could drive Camaros. Okay? Okay? And this was like the dream. Like eventually mission accomplished was going to be getting a Camaro. This one right here that you're looking at only has 11,000 miles on it. It's actually for sale right now. If any of you uh, are going to get dreams about that, over the, you can send it just straight to my house. Okay? How much? I think it was like $16,000. Because who knows if like the engine still runs, right? Like that's pretty cheap. I know you guys are like freaking out about that, but like, you know, like that's not even a year at JMU. I'm gonna drive this for way longer. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely something wrong with it, right? So, so, but I, I don't care. If, like, I just want to start it. Like, you know, I don't even fit all of us. Like, whoa, like, y'all be riding on that thing on West View Street. Let's go. So. <laughs> So, what's mission accomplished for you? You don't have to answer it out loud. You just think about it. But as we have been walking through the book of Acts, what is mission accomplished according to Jesus? Whew, what a great transition. Man. And I think Rachel told us what mission accomplished was the first week of our series. I think Jesus tells us in Acts 1.8 that the gospel will be preached in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we have seen this start to play out in the Acts narrative as the Holy Spirit is building His church, as He is doing things throughout the apostles' lives, as we are seeing miracles happen. Last week, things got a little hectic, right? We saw our first, not our first death, we saw our second death, right? Um, and so, like, the, the church is now at a crossroads. Stephen has been stoned. I mean, sorry, Stephen has been pelted with rocks. We don't say stoned anymore, right? Because you might get the wrong idea. Uh, <laughs> Stephen had that good stuff. Um, no, Stephen got hit with rocks. Okay, he's dead. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that line is actually in the notes. So just so you know, that was not off the cuff. That was absolutely planned. Um, you have notes this whole time? <laughs> and so, Stephen has just been stoned, pelted with rocks, and then we see the church is scattered, right? A great fear breaks out amongst the church again. She's scared. It's like, what are we going to do? We've seen our first martyr. What's going to happen? And the church begins to scatter, which is actually probably the best thing for the church. Instead of her just staying in one place, she scatters throughout the ends of the earth, and then they have a decision to make. Will we share? Will we talk to our friends and to our neighbors and to these other people about this hope to which we profess? Or will we hunker out in our bunker? Will we make a little place for ourselves where we can just stare at each other's belly buttons and just last until the end of time? And I believe one of the lessons that we're going to learn tonight is that we will never get to mission accomplished if we stay in the same place. And even more so, if we stay in that place silently. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be studying about a guy called 
Philip, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, we have some available at the welcome table. Adam, who made the lovely cake for you, would love to bring you one. If you just throw your hand up in the air and wave it around like you just don't care. Would there be one? Yes, I see that hand. Yes. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would there be one more? No, it's just a joke. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks. So, we are in Acts chapter 8. I was like, is he just going to keep doing this? Yes, as a matter of fact. If you flip, if you flip back, you'll see uh, we finished Acts chapter 7 last week. You got Stephen's speech. And then uh, at the end of 7, and then as we kind of head into 8, we, we were introduced to this character called Philip. Philip was in Acts chapter 6. Okay, he was someone in which the apostles had chosen. Uh, he was there for the, the dis distribution of food uh, to those who are widowed, to those who uh, need um, assistance. And so Philip is one of the trustworthy ones that they pick. Uh, and then at the beginning of chapter 8, we start to in are introduced to Philip, who is uh, now preaching at a revival in Samaria. You may remember Samaria. It's one of the places from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Like It's one of the places in which the gospel is supposed to go to. And Philip is now preaching a revival in Samaria. Okay, things are popping off, like things are getting crazy. It's like, oh my gosh, people are coming to know the Lord. People are getting involved in the community. And Philip is there preaching the whole thing. And then we pick up here in our text to in, uh, oh, sorry, one more page here. We're going to start reading in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south on the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way, and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandike, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. All right, so Philip has been in a revival. Remember, he's been like, well, all these people who are coming to meet Jesus, there's crazy things happening in churches, like popping off, like they're singing songs, they're clapping hands, like all these things. And then what does the angel of the Lord tell Philip to do? Go south. Leave this place where you are. Leave this place where things are going so well. Leave this place and go south on the desert road. What do y'all know about deserts? They ain't typically that nice, Right? Like, it's not typically a place where people want to hang out by themselves. Like, it's dark. It's deserted. Desert? Deserted? Got, got it, right? Not typically very inhabited. He was like, man, that's such a great word study. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's in my notes. I, I'm going to go back to the notes joke a couple of times because you guys laughed the first time. And so that's it's a character flaw that I have. Um, and so, like, it's the only one. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> front row is tough. Like, you know what I mean? It takes a certain type of person to sit in the front row when I got the microphone. I don't mind it, okay? Okay, so Philip is going south on the desert road. I want you to notice a phrase that happens in verse 27 on his way. Okay, I just want you to hold on to that phrase. We're going to come back to it later, and we're going to see who Philip meets. Philip meets an Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, what does that mean? Well, uh, yeah. 
some of you have done some advanced anatomy studies, and so you, in fact, do know what it means. Uh, so first of all, it means that he's from Ethiopia. So checks out, right? <laughs> like that's that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with Ethiopia, okay? Now here's the thing. When I say Ethiopia, you guys are also thinking about the second word. Like, you know what I mean? Like, by focus for just a second. What does Ethiopia mean to you? Like, maybe you think about people you know from Ethiopia. Maybe you think about family members from Ethiopia, or friends, or you think of the capital, Addis Ababa, right? Or maybe you've flown on Ethiopian air, or who knows? Like, maybe you just think of a country. What the author of the text, what Luke is trying to communicate to us when he mentions that he's from Ethiopia is that every Jewish person who read that would have known that Ethiopia represented the ends of the earth. They would have known it. They would have thought, like, that is as far away as we know. Like, that is the end of it all. Like, this person is from the ends of the earth that the story has been building towards. The author of the text is telling us that we are getting closer and closer and closer to mission accomplished. And this guy has come there himself. But there's a problem. And the problem is that he is, in fact, a eunuch. Now, in these times, it would have been very common for someone serving on the royal court, specifically of a queen, to have been a eunuch either uh, at birth or after birth, uh, maybe by choice or maybe forced, um, and uh, through mutilation, through crushing, um, through, yeah, right? Don't picture it, right? But, right? I, I, but I feel like I gotta let you know, like, this is what happened. And the reason this is important is because the Mosaic Law would not allow someone who had been castrated or mutilated to come into the temple. This, the Ethiopian eunuch represents someone from the ends of the earth who is not at that point allowed to worship in the temple. He has gone all the way to Jerusalem himself and then probably found out he wasn't allowed in. Left in the outer courts and is on his way home so close to mission accomplished the dude brought himself there and was told he wasn't allowed in the spirit and his kindness takes Philip away from a revival and sends him down a desert road for this one person for this one moment for this two happen. So, let's see what happens. Verse 30, it says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And Philip, I don't know, maybe he spent some time with Jesus, or maybe he's just, uh, just a boss like that. He starts with a question. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. When the man is there, he's being carried on this chariot. He is reading Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah, known throughout the Gospels as like the guy. 
Like this is the prophet. This is the prophet of old of the old times. Like like he would have been the one that they would have turned to. Like this is the one that told us the most about the the Messiah. This is the one who told us about the one who is coming. This is the one who promised deliverance for Israel. This is the one who like foresaw Jesus. Like Isaiah is the guy. Like you know like like right now we're in the middle of March Madness and we've got like you know, majors and mid-majors, right? Like you've got like like Daniel, like like maybe like a mid-major prophet. You've got like Malachi, like what we call a minor prophet. But like Isaiah, like he's like a power five prophet, okay? Like like he is in the big times. You know what I mean? Like he like this, this is like a power five conference right here, okay? Isaiah, and this is the text that the Ethiopian is reading. And so Philip says, "Do you understand what you are reading?" And in verse thirty-one, the Ethiopian says, "How can I?" Unless someone explains it to me. I can tell you that all of your evangelistic encounters will not go exactly like this. But I will hope that for you. Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So at this point, Philip's in the chariot. He's being carried. He's being pushed. And this was the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. You want to talk about slow-pitch softball right there. <laughs> like, like, do you know what I mean? Like the spirit, the text, has put it on a tee for Philip. It's just sitting right there. Like, hit a home run, right? And you're the Philip. Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Like, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Do you know what I mean? Like, like this is amazing. Like, Philip is explaining the story, and he has explained the story with, with such fervency, with such description, that evidently he got to the point where it's like, and then what happens is baptism, and the eunuch's like, let's do it. Here's some water. Let's get baptized. So, then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And that is crazy. And that is miraculous. And that is exactly why Philip was sent on this deserted road for such a time as this, for this one man. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Wait, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. He suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again. Like, he gone. Like, he's he just gone, gone. Like, but the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. He's like, all right, I got what I needed. Let's go. And then Philip, however, appeared at Azotos and then traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So, let's talk about what just happened. Philip, revival, sent down this road, the deserted road. There's a man, he's reading Isaiah the prophet, he invites Philip up, Philip explains the story to him, and then all of a sudden the guy's like, yeah, you know what, what must I do to be saved? Philip's like, let me tell you the story of Jesus. He walks him through um, the Old Testament, 
all the prophecies leading up to Christ. He explains to him Christ's earthly ministry, right? The New Testament doesn't exist at this point. He's not like reading John, but he's just like telling him John, right? Like this is what we lived. This is who we saw. This is who we know. Then he's like, hey, let's get baptized. They get baptized. He goes on his way rejoicing. And he can go on his way rejoicing because he knows that the important thing wasn't who told him the story. It was the story he was told. The important thing wasn't that it, like Philip was the guy that was there. The important thing was that he met Jesus. It didn't matter how he heard it. It didn't matter who was there. That wasn't what mattered. He went on rejoicing because of the news that he was given. Because of the story that he now got to take part in. And so Philip sent on his way. And then what does he do when he's sent on his way? He finds a new place and starts preaching and preaching and preaching until he gets to Caesarea. Church history tells us that this man, this Ethiopian, would then take the gospel back to Ethiopia and would share it and share it and share it, often to believe to be the first Christian in Ethiopia. A very prominent person, a very powerful person, that he shared the gospel fervently because of what he had seen and heard and experienced. So I want to close the night tonight with some practical ways in which we can take part in Mission Accomplished. Some practical ways in which we can be a part of this story, practical ways in which we can see this play out in our lives. Now, I don't believe that the Lord's going to tell all of you to go south on a deserted road and you're going to find an Ethiopian eunuch there, although I'm open to it, okay? I'm open to the Lord speaking to you specifically, and I believe this is something the Lord does. Glenna shared stories about that even tonight, about the Lord speaking to her individually. But I also believe there are some things that we can do, some strategies we can put forth, some ways in which we can live our lives in order to see mission accomplished happen on our campus, to see mission accomplished happen amongst our friends, and to see this happen amongst our world as we become people of the Spirit and as we go on our way. I think the text goes out of its way to tell us that Philip does this on his way. That what he could have done was he could have sped past the Ethiopian on his way to Gaza, right? He could have been like, yo, I am on the Lord's mission. I have something I have to do and I'm going to get there no matter what. I believe many of you are on a mission from the Lord towards whatever you're pursuing. However you define mission accomplished earlier, I believe that the Lord has spoken some of those things to you. But I believe that on the way... The Lord has things that he wants to do in you, and then what he's done in you, he wants to do through you. That you wouldn't become like some type of Christian cul-de-sac, right? Where things come in and never go out, okay? But that you would actually be a conduit of God's grace to the world around you who desperately needs God's grace. So, let's talk about evangelism. I've got a formula for you here for all of you nerds. That's it. That's how you do evangelism. So go and do likewise. CP plus CI. No, it's supposed to be, huh, I did, the, I did it incorrect. It's supposed to be CP plus CC. So hate to see, hate to see that. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm like looking up at that. I'm like, that is not right. So sometimes you like copy it down incorrectly. So, yeah, there it is. Uh, so, 
So I stands for communication. Um, so close proximity and clear communication. <laughs> no, I spelled communication wrong. I just put an I on the formula. So because I must have, yeah, I got nothing for it. So I wish I could tell you somebody else made my slides, but that's just not true. Uh, I made them myself. All right, let's start with the first one, close proximity. What do I mean when I say close proximity? Um, notice when Philip is walking down the road, what is he able to do? He's able to hear what the Ethiopian is reading. Okay, and you know, like reading out loud is actually a much better way to retain information. The Bible actually was written in order to be read out loud to a congregation, to, to a group of friends. And, and a lot of people, as they learn how to read, it's easier to learn how to read as you read out loud. Okay? So the Ethiopian definitely reading out loud on his way home. Philip is close enough to hear what he is reading. They just told me to shut up. <laughs> like, bruh. <laughs> bruh. <laughs> you have to be close to people in order to share the gospel with them. And here's what I'm telling you. It can't be a fake close either. You can't just be like sneaking in the side door in order to give them all the Jesus that they need. You have to legitimately be friends with people. Good like you need people in your life who don't think and act like you. You need people in your life that don't look like you, that don't, don't do the things that you do, don't go to the places that you go to. And they need you in their life. The gospel is so much more important than you could ever ask or imagine, than you could ever believe, and that we need to legitimately be friends with people outside of this room. I've been in, in many conversations with many Christians over the years, and there's always this like, well, once we get the community to a certain size, then let's just like stay there. And I just want to know everybody in the room. Like, well, my hope is that we're all like in a lot of different circles in a lot of different places and that we're making invitations to all of those people and that it's like the intramural sports team that we play on it's who we hang out with on friday nights it's, it's the people in our classes that this isn't just about us getting to know one another though that is important but a community that doesn't embrace responsibility is not much of a community at all and Here's the other thing, right? You guys are all in college, right? Right? Yeah. Um, so what's going to happen? You guys are all going to graduate. And some of you, well, you're trying, right? Like, you know, who could say, right? Shui, uh, shui, right? Uh, uh, like, and like, if we don't like, actively share the gospel with people around us, then there's just going to be nothing left here. And for what? And so you need to be in close proximity with people in order to share with them. Here's the thing. When I was in college, I was not always very good at this. Uh, I'll tell you some stories. Uh, so I met Jesus in Chi Alpha. I mean, I had grown up around the church, but not necessarily in the church. Like, I met Jesus dynamically when I was in college. Um, and so I, I began to follow him, and I had this softball team. We called ourselves the Hancock Hustlers, right? Because we lived in the Hancock dorm our first year, and we stayed together all four years. And, uh, like, I met Jesus, like, my first weekend, 
Well, my first Monday, not my first weekend. First weekend, not as much. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe could have used some Jesus, but anyways. Um, and so, like we we hang out, like we know each other, like we are deep in it, right? And then, like my senior year, no joke, we're sitting in the dining hall, <laughs> and I'm so ashamed of this. Like we're we're in the dining hall, and I like close my eyes real quick to like pray as quick as I could. Do you know what I mean? Cause it's like, I just, I'm so committed to praying before a meal that it's like, I got to do it. But I'm like, but my friends are there and like, do they know? So it was like, it was like an up and down real quick. And Scott Martin, that's what we'll call him. Cause that's his name. <laughs> Scott Martin is like, what did you just do? I was like, uh, I just prayed. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. He's like, have you always done that? Yeah, for four years. Yeah, I've just been <laughs> hiding it from you. Uh, like, I mean, what, for what? Like, these were guys that, like, knew me. And, like, and so they, I spoke at our last Chi Alpha meeting that's, that year, and they all came. Because we were that close. Like, we knew each other, right? And they probably would have come three years before if I would have asked them, right? But I didn't ask them until the very last week. Because I was afraid. So I didn't know what they would think. So I didn't know how it was going to turn out. And that's why it's like, if they're actually your friend, they're going to keep coming back anyway because you're legitimately friends. So just take a moment. Think about your life. Think about your friends. Think about the people you hang out with. Think about the people you text. Think about the people you see. And do they all come to Chi Alpha? Or is there one? Will there be two, maybe? which you are in a purposeful relationship with, who you love them, and they don't think like you. Do you think through the different clubs that you're in? Maybe there's an interest on campus that you have, and you join a club just to meet people, and to like legitimately meet them. Or maybe you join a club to learn a skill. You're like, you know what? I feel like sewing is going to be really good for me. It's we get towards the apocalypse, and so I'm going to join the sewing club. Can anybody here sew? I can't sew. Oh, nice. I have a button that I'd like to put on one of my dress shirts. <laughs> right now I'm just using a safety pin, and I just wear a tie when I wear that one. Uh, oh, yeah? Yeah. Nice. Let's go. Do you have a button, too? Because I lost the button. That's why I said <laughs> Okay, great. I'm just looking for just a white one, just a normal one. Yeah, thanks. Um, great. Um, and you can ignore the collar. I need to get it dry cleaned. It's like, it's pretty nasty. Like, yeah, so, anyways. Huh? All right, so now, as you think about those people, I've got two in my mind right now. I saw one of them today. Um, why not commit to praying for them once a day? 1 p.m., just one minute. Set an alarm. You're all up by one, right? Like, yeah, okay, good. Um, <laughs> this old man's got jokes. Uh, 1 p.m., one minute, you just pray for them. You pray that you would see them that day. You pray that life would go well for them. You pray that they get the internship they want. You pray that their jobs, like, you pray that they would get an A on the test they didn't study for. Like, right? Like, you pray God's favor for them. And then you just see what happens. 
All right, next. Clear communication. This is where it gets tricky, right? Philip, in our story, started with the scripture that the Ethiopian shared and then told him the entire story of how it led to Jesus. You can't share with your friends the scriptures if you don't know the scriptures. <clears throat> you can't share them with them about who Jesus is if you don't know who Jesus is. If you're not dynamically growing with him, if you're not talking with him, if you're not abiding, if you don't spend time with God, if you don't read it, how are you going to share it to a world that desperately needs to hear it? And can I say, the more that you read it, the more you're going to be convinced that you need to share it because it's like riddled with it. It's basically a missions textbook. Because it tells us story upon story about how God uses people to build his church. About God uses people to bring redemption in a world that desperately needs redemption. In a world that is looking for purpose. That is looking for potential. That is looking for like what, what we would say like as the image of God is in them. And like this divine spark that is a part of all of us. To be, to be called out into our true nature. To take on our true vocation as image bearers of the king. Like, how exciting is this? And we must communicate it clearly. And can I encourage you to communicate it often? Jesus early and Jesus often. That when you get in conversations with people, that you bring Jesus up because he's the thing that matters the most to you. When you talk about your weekend, you talk about how you went to church. When you talk about your week, you talk about how you went to core group, about how you went to Tuesday Night Live, about how you read this in the text, about how this happened, about how this happened. It is so normal for people to share about the things that they love. Okay? I hate Android. Right? Like, I'm a total Apple fanboy. Okay? Right? I don't like green things. Like, right? I'm, I'm wearing blue today. Right? Anything but green. Like, ever. Right? And I will, like, whenever someone, like, whenever my chat turns green, I'm like, why did you do this to me? You need to get an Apple phone. Like, right? Like, get, like what? Oh, my gosh. Like, what's wrong with you? What is taking you so long? Like, you even know what year it is. Okay, like, like, yeah, right. These are all the things that I do, right? And I, like, I've done this to Paul many times, because this is like Apple is something I love. It's something that has changed my life, but it has not changed my life the way that Jesus has. So why wouldn't I share that more often? As I talk about the purpose that I have, as I talk about my divine potential, as I talk about like all the meaning that I have in my life, why wouldn't I share about Jesus? And then I would encourage you to make invitations broadly, that you would see everything you do as an outreach event, that you would see Tuesday Night Live as a chance to invite your friends, as you see your core group as a chance to invite your friends, as you see uh, watching Goodwill Hunting at your house on a Thursday night as a chance to invite your friends. Huh? They obviously know what Goodwill Hunting is, right? Yeah. Whoa! Whoa! Okay, first of all, uh, it's like a top three movie of all time, okay? Uh, Shawshank Redemption, Goodwill Hunting, White Men Can't Jump. Those are the top three. Undisputed. Undisputed. Okay? If you haven't seen those, nope. Uh, so, yeah. The original Toy Story is number four. 
Don't at me. No, actually, please at me. I'd love to get at you in the comments. Unless you come at me with an Android phone. <laughs> okay? So, make invitations and make them over and over and over and over again. As you invest deep, oh, this is where the I came from, invite. As you invest and invite, I'm like, why did I put an I? Okay, now I know why. Okay, like, as you invest in people, invite them. And it's not weird. It's actually weirder if you don't do it. Because what are you saying about your friendship? What are you saying about you, what you believe for them? What you even hope for them? If you won't let them see the most important part of you. Let me tell you two stories. One is, uh, gosh, I graduated college. Really, like, wow, that was a brick ago. Um, uh, right? Are you guys okay? I'm so old. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. My back hurts when I wake up in the morning. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. As the weather changes, I'm like, oh, my knees. Um, anyways, uh, I just graduated college. I work for Chi Alpha, right? And I don't know if you know, but Chi Alpha can sometimes be full with a bunch of Christians, right? So that's not bad, right? But it's like, I just found that I was going to work. I was meeting with young men. I was discipling them. And I was hanging out with, my, with the staff team. And right then I come home, and Katie and I are married, right? And so she's a Christian too. Uh, and so right, that was from the series before. Um, and it's like, all of a sudden, it's like my whole life, I'm just surrounded by Christians, okay? Another thing you need to know about me is I cannot hit an overhand curveball. Okay, like at no point in my life could I hit an overhand curveball. Okay, so it's not a thing. And so what did I do? I did the most logical thing. I joined in a, a men's slow pitch softball team um, in the city on like a Wednesday night. Right, I put myself on the waiver wire. I like talked up my stats. I'm a five tool player, which is definitely not true. I can't hit for power. Never could. Uh, but they didn't need to know that, right? Didn't tell them how big I was because you know, like oh, I'm just kind of a small guy. Uh, and so like then all of a sudden like I get picked up by a team. And I start to make friends. Well, it turns out my friends are on the other teams that I've met. The team that I'm on, I'm not really like clicking with. And so then the next season, I jump over to the other team. And then Katie would come, and she would sit in the stands. And then I joined their co-rec team. And Katie would still sit in the stands. I tried to get her to play. Okay, this is a terrible story, okay? So I'm like, look, honey, it can't be that bad. We'll, we'll play second base. It's going to be great. Water a glove like we're throwing in the backyard. And then we come early to a game, and there's this huge left-handed guy up. And he, like, he takes a shot and hits the girl playing second right in the face. And so Katie hadn't picked her glove up since then. Um, <laughs> so anyways, uh, so Katie and I make friends on that team. Okay, we start to hang out with them. They watch our kids when we're at Tuesday Night Live. And like we just build a friendship. And then we just start making invitations to church. Hey, this is the church we go to. This is what time it meets. Would you like to come? We'll go to lunch afterwards. Oh, tough. <laughs> I love it. Um, and so, so we're... And then they come. And then they... They re-interact with Jesus, and they go through the discipleship process. And I'm not saying that to be like, hey, Katie and I did it right, because I already told you stories about me doing it wrong. But like, we went out of our way to build legitimate friendships in order to have people to hang out with, in order to make real invitations. 
Then I'll tell you another one that's more recent. It's about a guy, we'll call him Joe, because that's his, his name. That's his name. Um, his name is Joe. And Joe is a guy that a couple of us have known. Some of us have known him for longer than others. I've known Joe for about three years. And I've been inviting Joe to Tuesday Night Live and to core group for three years. Okay? And typically, he's like, Meh. you guys have all heard it before, right? As you made invitations, they're like, Meh, I don't know, right? Ah. And last week, we were at dinner together before core group, which is a very strategic time to go to dinner with somebody you're trying to invite to core group, right? We went to dinner before core group. I said, hey, you want to come this week? And he said, yes. And he came to core group last week. And maybe he's watching right now. Uh, probably not, right? Like one step at a time, right? Okay. And I think he's going to come back this week. But I can't, I cannot count I can't count as high as the number of invitations I made. And he said no every single time. But we were still friends. We still would play ball together, like, right? We, I would still like slide into his DMs, like, hey, boo. Um, no, I'm serious, I do all these things. I send him hard eyes pretty often, right? And, and then he came. And I hope he liked it enough to come back. Huh? <laughs> huh? It's fine. What did you say, Amber? That's tough. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, the crowd came rowdy tonight, and I'm for it. So, it's still going. I, and I don't even know what it was, but now we all want to know, right? But, anyways. Mission accomplished. The question is, are you going to take part? Do you want to be a part of mission accomplished? Do you want to sit on the sidelines of life? Do you want to do this on the way? Or do you just want to sit the whole thing out? You will go on the adventure of a lifetime if you start making invitations with people who you care about and care about you. There is nothing like that moment in between, like you're waiting for the yes or the no. And then there's nothing like it when they say yes and you get to bring them. And can I tell you, you'll see core group through a whole different lens when you bring a friend. You're like, why do we do that? <laughs> why do we talk like that? Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, are you like, you're bringing them to church and you're like, oh man, like, what is that song? <laughs> Like, like, why are we singing about rivers of blood? <laughs> Somebody explain it to me. It's wild, okay? And so then you get to go to lunch and you talk about it. Because this is something that's important to you and they have questions. It will never be easier to invite your friends to Kai to, to Alpha than it is right now. At your age, your stage of life, this is the easiest it will ever be. And so put some practices in place to make it normal. This is the normal Christian life. To be a part of God's global mission to your neighbor and to the ends of the earth so that mission accomplished may happen in your generation. The task is not too great. The ask is not too much. We can do it. So the band's going to come up as we close. I just want to give you just some moments right now, and we're going to sing in a moment. You can come up, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs>
felt like I said you could. Uh, and I want you to think, like, which one is it for you? Close proximity, clear communication. What's the next step for you? Who's the next step for you? You got a piece of paper? I want you to write that name down. It's not dynamic until it's specific. Write a name down, write two down. I have two right now in my life who I've been building friendship with in order to invite them. I invited one of them tonight. He said no, maybe in two weeks. I'm believing. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep inviting. Hey, you know what? Small groups tomorrow night. I'm going to be on that snap story, right? Like, who's pulling up to the crib? We had the apartment, 8.30. Okay? Guys are like, this guy's weird. Like, y'all want to come? Like, this is the scatter holler right here. Like, anybody want to come to the crib, right? <laughs> Yeah, like, we're trying to to break a record. Whenever we break a record, you know what we do? We take a picture. Whenever we get more people than we've ever had before, we take a picture. We got the tripod sitting out on the table when we walk in so that we know if we have failed or not. If that tripod's still laying down at the end of the night, we have failed. You guys are like, what is his core group like? It is just like this. Okay? Gracious God, we commit these names to you. But more so than that, King Jesus, we commit ourselves to you. We want to get out of our own way. We want to start to live for the kingdom more dynamically. God, we're so drawn to this idea of the adventure of a lifetime that we know that there is more out there for us than what we sometimes experience. And so God, I pray that you would embolden us that you would build that desire in us and that we would see fruit for the kingdom. God, that we would see people interact with you in the way that you have interacted with us. And that we would know, that we would know, that we would know that you are the one building your church here at JMU amongst our friends. So we love you, Jesus. We commit this time to you.